Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant or your female servant, or your ox or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. I think we're all probably pretty familiar with the the story of Mary and Martha. Um, They appear in a couple different places. Uh, the particular place I'm thinking of is in Luke chapter 10. Um, Martha is, is working. She's being hospitable. She's taking care of things because Jesus and his disciples have come to their house, Mary and Martha's home. And so Martha is going around taking care of things. You know, you can imagine this. Uh, you know, she's tending the fire. She's got something cooking, she's maybe sweeping up over here, she's like, oh, would you like another pillow? You know, she's doing all of these things, and Mary, on the other hand, is just sitting there at Jesus' feet, listening. And Martha comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, do you not care? I mean, do you not care? Asking Jesus that. But we do that, don't we? She's not alone in that. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. What's Jesus' response? He he recognizes what's going on with Martha. He says, Martha, Martha. Almost like, stop for a second and look at me. says her name twice. Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, many, many times reading that or hearing that, I think Jesus is kind of rebuking Martha. Mary has chosen the good portion. I'm not going to send it away from her. But I don't think that's what's going on. That doesn't fit with the character of Jesus. That doesn't fit with the context that doesn't fit with saying, Martha, Martha. There's, there's concern for her. He's giving her a promise. He says, Mary has chosen the good portion, and it will not be taken away from her. He's inviting her. If It's okay. The fire will take care of itself. We don't need another pillow. It's fine. Like We're all okay here. Why don't you just come and join us? You can have the good portion too. You don't have to be distracted with so many things. And I think that resonates with us. Being distracted with much serving. I mean, do we get distracted with much serving, much working, many things to do? But but serving is good, you say. And yes, of course it's good. But you can get distracted. By doing something, you get distracted with much serving and you miss what's right in front of you. You miss 
the very thing that your work, your service, is for. And it can go like this. You've, you've got you to go to your job so you can make money, so you can buy groceries, so you can cook the food, so you can feed your kids. And your kids end up being the last on the list of the things you're thinking about. But actually, everything you're doing is, is, is for them. And if you ask, why are you doing all this? If you were asked that, you would say, well, for, for my kids. But we get distracted with much serving. We get, as Jesus says of Martha, we get anxious and troubled about many things. We get tired trying to keep it all together, trying to spin as many plates as we can, trying to hold everything as it all seems like it's falling apart or it's just barely there. And if I had another arm, I'd grab some duct tape to try and hold all of that together too. We're thinking about all the things that we have to do. Maybe this week, maybe this afternoon, when we're done here, well, we got to go do this and this and this, so that you know the next, uh, and then and then this, and then and if we don't do that, then that thing's going to fall. You think about all these things, and you can get out of control. But this fourth commandment is for us who are anxious and troubled about many things. You can rest. You can choose the good portion. And Jesus promises that the good portion will not be taken away from those who choose it. How can he promise that? He promises it because he is the one who makes sure you get to keep it. Not all, the, not all the working, not all the striving, not all the action. Jesus. And that promise that Jesus gives is bound up in his character, in his heart. And in fact, it can be seen in this commandment on the Sabbath day. So, in order to see that, in order to see the rest that God has promised us, we're first going to look at the text we're going to just walk through it and just talk about each, each line, pretty much. And then, and then I want to see, and someone already asked me before even the service began, well, it says seventh day, but it's the first day of the week. What are we doing? Well, don't worry. We will, that's the next part. We'll get there. We're going to see what the New Testament does with this commandment. And then finally, we're going to see how to choose the good portion that Jesus offers us. So first, looking at the text, just going to kind of quickly quote a little bit and talk about it, okay? So, observe. Stop right there. Observe. What does that mean? It means watch, you know, you observe with your eyes, to look, to see, but also to be mindful of. You know, out of sight, out of mind. Well, if it's in sight, it's in mind. So be mindful of, be aware of. It also means to keep, to obey, to do, to act according to what you see, to observe. The Sabbath day, what's that? Well, that's day seven. That's Saturday, what we would call it. It's the day, according to Genesis, that God rested from his works of creation. Six days he made everything, the heavens and the earth and all that is in them, and on the seventh day he rested. 
And in Exodus, when God first gives the commandments from the mountaintop, that's exactly what he says. Keep the Sabbath day because I rested from my works on the seventh day, so you shall also rest from your works. Then he says, to keep it holy. And if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, holy, we were talking about God's name, holy means to be set apart, to not be common. It's not for common use. It's not like the rest of the week, the six days of the week, they're everyday common. You use them for the normal stuff that you do. But the seventh day is for something else. It's sacred. It's special. And he says, as the Lord your God commanded you. Now, almost none of the people here who are in Deuteronomy chapter 5, hearing Moses give this commandment, almost none of them were actually present when God spoke from the mountaintop at Sinai. But that doesn't matter, because the commandments of God were for their parents and for their offspring, and they kept going on and on and on. The commandment is for you. And so it's for us as well. Just because we weren't there at Mount Sinai doesn't mean that the commandment does not have bearing upon us. Okay, now the meat of the commandment, right? What does it say? Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So now we see that this is not just about the seventh day. It gives us reasons for six days. It prescribes the duties of all seven days of the week. There are six days of labor, which for most of us isn't hard to accomplish. I mean, we're, we're ready to work. We're ready to do things. But it's still a good and necessary reminder. But more importantly, on it you shall not do any work. That's one day of not working. And that's the very basic, the very first beginning definition of rest. Don't work. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about rest more. But that's the basic definition. Stop working. And work is not just, you know, what you do on your 9 to 5 to get a paycheck. Work is all the striving and toil that you do to try and keep it all together. And then, a larger chunk, he says, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or your sojourner who is within your gates. I didn't count before I started. I'm glad I had enough fingers. That your male and your female servant may rest as well as you. So it's not just for you. This commandment is for everyone under your authority. Even your animals, even people merely staying in your home. Don't put them to work this day. We can see see even the second greatest commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We can see that in here. The the idea behind why, this is for you, but it's also for everyone else too. Then he says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Remember is part of this commandment. 
Remember what God has done. Remember where you were when he found you. Remember what he did to deliver you. These are the things that God intended the Israelites to think about every Sabbath day. And these same sorts of things are true for us as well. It says, Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So why? He commanded us to keep the Sabbath day so that we would remember that we were slaves and he delivered us from slavery. We'll hold on to that for later. But God commands, he commanded Israel to keep the Sabbath day because they were slaves and he delivered them from slavery. So that's pretty basic. That's pretty good understanding. Just walk through the text. But it's broad. It's not just a, you know, keep the Sabbath, remember the Sabbath. That's shorthand, but it goes further. So how do we get from Sabbath day, Saturday, to Lord's Day, Sunday? Is it just because that's what the church has been doing for 2,000 years? Are we just following tradition? No. The New Testament shows us how this change occurred. I kind of tongue-in-cheek said when, when someone asked, well, why is it Sunday instead of Saturday? Kind of tongue-in-cheek said, well, something happened on a Sunday. Uh, something important happened on a Sunday, and that's why we do it. Jesus was raised on the first day of the week. And it's not a minor thing, obviously. The whole New Testament focuses on the resurrection of Jesus. But it focuses on the resurrection of Jesus on the first day of the week. All four Gospels specifically record it. Matthew says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. Mark also says, And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. Luke says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking spices they had prepared. And John says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now, obviously, the resurrection is something that all four Gospels are going to record. They don't, they don't have every single detail the same. Not all of the Gospels record every single event the same, or even all the same events. But they all saw the importance of saying the first day of the week. So the resurrection happening on the first day of the week is the first reason but the day has been moved from Saturday to Sunday. But also, Jesus himself starts meeting with his disciples on the first day of the week. After Luke records the resurrection, he then records Jesus going with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And of course, this is, you know, they don't know it's Jesus. They, they don't know the resurrection has happened, but there's these two disciples 
going on the, walking on the way from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and another man starts walking with them. And, and Luke begins that with that very day, indicating that it was still the Resurrection Sunday. It was still that very day that the resurrection occurred. And Jesus goes and walks through with them, and, and they listen to him speaking from the Scriptures, all that must have happened to the Messiah. And then he sits down with them to eat, and he breaks bread with them, and their eyes are open, and they see that it's Jesus, and they rush back to the disciples in Jerusalem. And Luke also records, as they were saying these things, as they were talking about these things, telling the disciples in Jerusalem that Jesus had appeared to them in the breaking of bread, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace to you. And John also records that meeting, and he specifically again says, it's the first day of the week. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. So why Sunday? Well, Jesus was raised on a Sunday, and Jesus started meeting with his disciples specifically. On Sundays. And then, the pattern of that, of the first day of the week meeting, is specifically also recorded in other New Testament books. In the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 7, it says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul taught them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Well, they're breaking bread, they're they're having fellowship. And Paul was teaching. He was giving a sermon. In 1 Corinthians 16, it says, On the first day of the week, this is, this is an instruction from Paul, On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And this was, this was specifically the collections for the poor in Jerusalem. All the other churches were, were collecting money, and Paul was saying, here's how to do it. When you get together on the first day of the week, Bring some money and set it aside there. Just It's nice and orderly. Do it that way. But why did he say that? Because they were gathering on the first day of the week. And then in Revelation, the very beginning of Revelation, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And then what does he say? He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a voice, a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. Well, John tells us when this happens, but he doesn't say on the first day of the week anymore. And of course, Revelation is probably the last book written in the New Testament. And, but what does he say? He, what does he call it? He calls it the Lord's Day. You know, when a major historical event happens, we tend to remember it on the same calendar day the following year, whether it's D-Day or, you know, Independence Day. And we rename the day. We put it in the calendar, and we say, okay, it's the 4th of July. Well, what? Okay, 4th of July. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's Independence Day. 
You ever know that joke? Does Britain celebrate, or does Britain have a 4th of July? And you say, well, no, of course not. It's like, well, do they just move from the 3rd to the 5th? I know, we all like to call it 4th of July. Technically, it's called Independence Day because the Declaration of Independence was signed on that day. And so it is with the Lord's Day because a major historical event happened on a Sunday. And that's an understatement. Jesus burst through the doors of death and left it shattered in the grave. And we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, each year at a particular time. But we also celebrate each week. He is risen. Okay, now that you're prepared, He is risen. Yeah, it's not just Easter Sunday once a year. Every single Sunday is a reminder that this day, Jesus burst forth from the grave. That's why it's known as the Lord's Day. Each Sunday is the Lord's Day in a special way, more than every other day of the week. Now, every day of the week belongs to him. But he didn't stop there. He didn't just say, the whole week is mine, and so you can't do anything for yourself. No, he said, the whole week is mine. Here's six days for you to do your labor. But this day is set aside for a special purpose. And we see that purpose in the commandment, right? You were slaves. God redeemed you from slavery. And so, remember that and rest in him. So for a conclusion, getting towards a conclusion, remember what God has done. That's how we keep the Sabbath day. Remember what God has done. It's built into the command. It's built in so that Israel would remember what God did you know, they, they were at the Red Sea, ready to be destroyed, an ocean behind them, basically, as good as it was. I mean, th- th- there was nothing they could do. And an army in front of them coming to, to kill them all. And God says, through Moses, the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be what? Pray hard enough, sing well. Do a couple of things, promise to tithe, you have only to be silent. That's what he says. And the Lord works salvation. We were slaves to sin. We were enslaved to our sin. That's where we were when Christ came. We're not righteous, we were not good, but God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were still weak, Christ died for us. And when we come here, we're here for the purpose of remembering and reminding each other of what God has done, of where we were, 
and what he has done to save us. And then the second thing to do is to rest in remembering what God has done. So we have to remember, and then we have to rest in what we remember. How do we rest? How do we rest? It sounds simple, but we're really bad at it. We're really bad at resting. You know, it's funny even when somebody says, oh, I had a really hard time sleeping, or, you know, it's like, how do we have a hard time sleeping? The only requirement is to not do anything. And we have a hard time with it. I mean, we do. I'm not, I do too. Like, it's, we have a hard time doing nothing because we want to keep doing something. We got something going on in our heads. We think it's got to be doing this, that, or the other thing. We don't really know. And yet God has built in our need for rest and even a commandment. I mean, that tells you how important this is and how bad we are at it. There's an entire commandment about us resting. Well, how do we go about resting then? We go about resting by trusting God, that he's going to take care of us. There's a picture of this in Exodus chapter 16. I'm going to kind of try and paraphrase it and not quote the whole thing. But if you want to look at it, you can see it in Exodus chapter 16. It's, it's when manna comes down, you know, bread from heaven. And through Moses, God tells the people, the manna is going to come down, it's like dew, and the dew dries up, and then there's, there's little flaky kind of wafers, and they can take and bake it or cook it or turn it into bread, and then they can eat it, right? And it's going to come down six days of the week and not the seventh day. And God says, if you eat it, or you will, this is what you're going to have to eat, and I'll provide it for you. I will, I will continually provide it for you, but so that you will trust me, here's how it's going to come to you. In the morning, you will gather it, you'll have enough for today, you will not be able to keep it for tomorrow. And what happens if the, there's some that do keep it for tomorrow? They, they don't listen, and they're like, okay, I'll just, you know what, I, I, I grabbed a little bit, and I'm just going to eat a little bit now, and then I don't know if it's going to happen tomorrow, so I'll just hang on to, hang on to this. And what, is, what happens? Well, it breeds worms. It goes putrid immediately. It is good for today, what God has promised, and then it goes putrid immediately. God says, you have to trust that I'm going to give it to you tomorrow. It's not going to last. You can't gather up enough for yourself for two days. It is just good for today. So this morning, I will give you bread, and you will eat it, and you will be satisfied today. And then tomorrow, I will give you bread, and you will eat it and be satisfied for tomorrow. And that's what's going to happen the whole time you're in the wilderness. I'm going to provide food for you entirely. Well, some try to hang on to it, and it turns into worms. But then the sixth day comes around, and Moses tells them, okay, gather enough for two days' worth. And you're thinking, what? It's gonna, it, it doesn't last two days. The, the first five days of the week, anybody that had, enough, had any left over, it just went putrid. And now you want me to gather two days' worth? Well, many of them do, 
because they've seen the works of God and they obey him and they trust him. And they gather two days worth and then they have enough for the Sabbath day. But there are some that don't and there's nothing on the ground because God was not giving them that on the Sabbath day. He was giving them enough on the sixth day to last for two days. And this is all sort of kind of like, okay, this is really complicated. What's going on? He's teaching his people to trust him. And you'd think, the only reason I'm getting any food at all is because it's appearing on the ground in the morning before me. You'd think that would make it easy to, to trust God. But of course, what we do is we look at a blessing and we think, all right, how can I take this blessing and, and repeat it? How can I make this thing repeatable? It's like, it's, it's beautiful, wonderful. Thank you, God, for that. Um, I'm, I'm so grateful that you graciously gave it to me today. Now let me figure out how to make it for myself tomorrow. That's, that's, our, that's our bent. That's what we do since the Garden of Eden, since our sin. We think, God is gracious, but I don't really want to trust it. You know, like, I want to have, have a backup, just in case. So I'll, I'll gather a little bit extra manna, just in case God doesn't deliver tomorrow. And of course, through 40 years of it appearing six days and not the seventh, he teaches his people to trust him. Now, what does that actually have to do with us? All right? What does that have to do with us? Well, every single thing that we have, we've received from God by grace. Everything. And if we receive it with thanksgiving, knowing that God is the one who gave it and he is gracious to give it again, then we don't have to keep striving and gather up and try and hoard it for ourselves. I think of this for myself with like energy or time or mental awareness. You know, you kind of go brain dead after working on a task for too long. That's, I think, where it comes for me a lot. Where it's, it's like God has given me the ability to, to think and to do something today. And I feel like, oh, I need to do everything I possibly can because what if he doesn't give it to me tomorrow? What if tomorrow I wake up and I'm just brain dead and the caffeine doesn't work? You know? Instead of thinking, I didn't deserve it today, but God gave it graciously, and I can trust him. I'm not going to deserve it tomorrow, but God's going to give it graciously, and I can trust him. And there's so many ways in which we, we do this, right? We, we think we are in charge of making sure our lives go well. We think we are in charge of making sure everything happens the way it has to. We think that if we don't do that one thing, it's all going to fall apart. Like, if we don't give that extra bit of effort, our family is going to go hungry. Or our job is going to let us go. Or maybe it's uh, every morning I get up, this is not me by the way, but every morning I get up and at 5.30 and go jog a mile so that my health can be great until I'm 85. And if I miss one, 
Oh no, I'm going to die at 50. Like, no. What we do matters. Absolutely. But the message of the Sabbath rest, the command to rest in the Lord, is to teach us that everything is not going to fall apart without us. Because we weren't the person holding it all together in the first place. And it's not just these things that might end up feeling trivial. I mean, parents, tons of parents with young children, right? Or parents with grown children. And you think, I just need, you know, maybe you have wayward children, and you think, God, uh, if I just pray enough, then you'll save my, my child. If I just read the Bible with them in the morning enough, then you'll, then you'll save them. If I just, if I just, if I just... And all those things are good and important and commanded even. We should live as God desires us to live. But we are so quick to slip into this idea that if I just do this one thing, then it'll all go well. Even reading the Bible, even praying, we can turn those into, if I just do this one thing, God will... Give me what I want. But the idea of this commandment is that God is already intent on giving you everything that you need and more. God is already intent on delivering you from all of your afflictions. God is already intent on saving you and blessing you and giving you all good things. How do we know that? How do we know that? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You think, man, I just need to do this one more thing. I just need to quickly get this one more thing done before before I go home for the night, because otherwise, and you think, God, who numbers the hairs on my head, knows what I need. And I can trust him that he will take care of it. And with that, maybe you do that extra thing. Or maybe you go home. And tomorrow you do that thing. Or maybe that thing gets taken care of itself because God runs the universe just fine without you. This is, this is the heart of the gospel, that God cares for you, he loves you, he is intent on doing good for you, and he is so intent on that that he has given his own son for you. And so we can rest, we can rest in him. And because we're so forgetful, he gives us one day in seven especially to remember that it's not all dependent upon me. It's all dependent upon God. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you that you are most kind and gracious, and you care to bless us much more than we even care to ask. Oh Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to rest in you? Would you help us to take this Sabbath day, this Lord's day, and see that it, it's not dependent upon all of our doing, all of, all of our striving, all of our acting, but it's all dependent upon you. And when we rest in you, you give us the power, the strength, the ability to do all the things that are required. And you also take care of everything that we have no ability to take care of. Lord, help us to lean more heavily upon you, to rest more fully in you, to trust you because we can see how much you love us and care for us. Oh Lord, help us. Help us. We are so prone. We are so prone to trying to do it all ourselves. Help us turn our faces to you and rest in you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.